This is Real Good by U.S. Bank, a podcast about helpers. We are getting to every family in America, and we're going to where those families are and saying, hey, this is who you bank with. This is where you go to school. How do we meet you where you are and deliver you financial education tools through the providers that you already have a relationship with so that uh, we are together cultivating your kids to understand money in a way that you couldn't teach them and that no organization in America has ever taught them. I'm Faith Saley. Our first episode dropped into your podcast feeds in the summer of 2020. The world has changed immeasurably since then, but our mission has remained the same. Every season, every episode, we've strived to show you that while our world is an imperfect place, there are people out there trying to make it better. Today, we're talking to Tanya Van Court, the founder and CEO of the family-friendly financial education app, Goalsetter. Financial security and financial wellness are ideas that most of us are familiar with. Many of us are lucky to know what being financially secure feels like. It designates us as middle class. It's the opposite of what politicians talk about when they mention people who are living paycheck to paycheck. But for people without a steady income, financial security is an aspiration. It's also the bare minimum requirement in the pursuit of happiness. And the path to get there has historically involved an incredible number of barriers for people of color. That's where financial education comes into play. It's the difference between aspiring to earn a better income and having the tools to build wealth for generations to come. So when Tanya Van Court dreamed up her app, she wasn't just imagining a resource that could help families become financially secure. Goalsetter is helping communities of color achieve financial freedom. Greg, I have been thinking a lot in preparation for this conversation today. I've been thinking a lot about financial literacy, air quotes, Ooh. right? And yes. and so so here's my theory. You know, if you meet somebody and you want to get to know them, you can ask them where they grew up and what was your childhood like, maybe what their parents did, where'd you go to school, what'd you want to be? Yeah. If, if you ask someone what were the lessons in financial literacy, like however that mm. showed up for you or didn't show up, that you yes. got as a kid, I think that would tell you so much about a person, right? Not even about just that Absolutely. person, but about their parents, their grandparents, and then their relationship with money now and how they talk to their kids about it. Absolutely. I love that. I, I thought you were going to start by saying like you did last time, like I read this study and I was going to feel really <laughs> bad that I hadn't read this study too. <laughs> so I'm glad you started with an easy one. No, this, this is a high, this is a personal <laughs> hypothesis. No, this is good. This and is, so I, think you're I want to know, um, before we started recording today, we were talking about your your 92-year-old mother, who sounds adorable. That's a really good place to start. Yeah. So what? Because you know what I learned about financial literacy, the what? conversations we had? Um, and it's so appropriate that we started this conversation talking about my mom, because that's where I learned about money, um, both good and bad. And I love my mom, so this is not any sort of criticism in that respect. But um, I just remember um, so many, um, I'll say it this way. If we, there was a credit union in our neighborhood and uh, called Lavelle um, Savings and Loan. And the guy who owned the credit union 
belonged to our church. And so, you know, we would see him at church. I would see him at church every Sunday. And the point I'm making, Faith, is he knew us personally. And the story I'm, I'm sharing is if if he hadn't, or if a big bank had owned our uh, our mortgage at the time, we would have been on the street. Um, and so the fact that we had a relationship Why? with him. and he, Why would you have been on the street? Well, because my mom was a single mom, widowed mom raising five kids on like a, you know, at that time they used to call them secretaries or administrators um, salary Good and Lord. trying to make it all work. And, you know, she was determined to have us live in a single family home. Like in my neighborhood, if you lived in a single family home, you were, you were rich. Like you were wealthy. Wow. Like that was how people, and my mom's home was a big home. She still lives in the home um, I grew up in, by the way. Um, but to the I kids believe in it's our neighborhood. AKA the Greg Cunningham Childhood Museum. Absolutely. <laughs> there is that part. There's a whole wing dedicated to pictures. <laughs> she charges <of> admission. <laughs> I, I got membership merch. though. Yeah. We're still in merchandise. But yeah, but it, But y'all were doing well. Compared to rel compared to, to most. And like because we lived in a single family home. And so like for her, that was my mom's dream. Like mm. moving us out of the projects when my dad was alive. My mom literally said to my dad, she's moving us out of the projects. She didn't care how she has to do it. My dad came home from work one day and all of our stuff was on the front, was in the front of the project. Oh, she meant business. Like, that's how we moved. She moved us into an apartment that her brother owned. And then she said, I'm going to buy that house across the street someday. And then after my dad died, she was able to purchase the house. Um, but those were the lessons that I learned was one that you actually didn't have to have a lot of quote unquote you know, money to feel a sense of, of wealth and to be wealthy. Hmm. Um, but I also learned the value of money um, from that um, because we didn't have a lot of it and we had to make it stretch. And, you know, for her to say, I'm moving us into a home, understanding the importance of home ownership and having a house. I mean, home is not a place, right? It's a, it's a feeling. So that's a different, but I mean, the actual thing of owning a home, home ownership and the dignity and, and, you know, self-worth that comes with that was something my mom taught us very early. And was it explicit ever? Was she teaching you, now listen, this is what a mortgage is, or was it all by role modeling? No, it was role modeling because she didn't really even understand it, right? Like, which oh. is why, you know, like she didn't really even understand all that came with having a mortgage and home upkeep and all this stuff that is one thing to own a home and get into a home. And then what most people don't realize is once you get in the home is it's a lot, it takes a lot to maintain a home as we all know, right. To, to, to manage and maintain and the upkeep that comes with it. And as I said, as a, you know, widowed mother of five, like trying to stay on top of that was difficult. Um, and so we did have challenges, but we worked through it and through the compassion of people and, you know, as I said, the the savings and loan and then them helping us understand what choices we needed to make, we were able to get through it. But those days and, and those types of surround services, you know, in a much different way nowadays are so important for people. So it's not just the education. It's how do you, you know, also think differently about, you know, helping people work through some of those issues that aren't always as a parent. Did you with your kids who are now young adults, youngish adults, did, did you make it a point to be explicit about this is what financial literacy is, this is what you need to know? 
I never use that word with my kids. Yeah. But I shared um I shared those stories, Faith. Like that that's how I have always done it, is shared the stories and you know, the challenges that we had um and the decisions that that we had to make um growing up. Like I shared all that and my kids saw it. Like I brought my kids back to where I started and even the decisions that my wife and I have had to make, you know, our kids, you know, at one point we've said to our kids, like, you have to choose between, you know, this house or going to private school. <laughs> and like, we had to make some decisions when they were young about, you know, where we were going to live. And, and that for them was very real, you know, and we just let them, we were just always very transparent about our kids, about what we had and what we didn't, because we were, our kids were surrounded by a lot of other families that had a lot. And we had to help them understand that's not us. We don't, we don't have it like that. You know? So oh, I relate to this. I relate <laughs> to this. This is, yeah. Do you do this in Zooms? This is what I noticed my now kids during, during remote school. I think it's sign language for same, same. Yeah. I, okay. I, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Do I mean, that. you and I have such different backgrounds, right? Childhood backgrounds, yeah. but I relate as a parent. And I have yeah. to know, what did your kids say? Did they want private school or the house? They they wanted the school. Huh? <laughs> they, huh? they liked their school. <laughs> they liked their school. I mean, because they, they equated that to, you know, just sort of, um, they liked that environment, that learning environment that they were in and the friendships that they, that they were able to build. But they understood that, you know, there are some kids choices. and some families that have, yeah, they understood what choices are about, yeah. you know. Value, value. You make value-based decisions, right? Yeah, and I appreciate values-based decisions. Yeah. I I appreciate what you say about transparency because I've heard Tanya Van Cord, whom we're going to be talking with, talk talk about how parents n- must not be afraid to talk about money and to be and to be transparent about what's yeah. a stretch, what's hard, what savings means, how much we have, like in a way that's appropriate to that family. So, um, so thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and P.S., I really want to interview your mom. <laughs> oh, let's do that. You would get let's a kick it. out of that. Let's do it. You would get a kick out of it. I would love that. Let's do that. Oh, Tanya Van Cord is here, everybody. There she is. Tanya, I don't know if you got to hear the end of that, did you? The TVC. I did not get to hear it, but it sounds like it was a party that I just jumped into. It's, it's always a party with Greg Cunningham. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, it might be. It might be. It might be. It might be. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Tanya Van Court, does anybody call you TVC? Wow, you are just jumping into this hot. Absolutely. (laughs) All of my, uh, you know, my my closest friends from high school mostly. Oh, well, Greg, I think that's our invitation, right? I think so. Yeah, there it is. Tanya Van Court, thank you so much for joining us on Real Good. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Good to see you. Thank you. Can you kind of um, let our listeners know who you are and, and, and what you do, the name of what you've created? Sure. Tanya Van Cord, CEO and founder of Goalsetter. Goalsetter is a saving, investing, smart spending, and financial education platform created for the entire family. With an extremely adorable owl icon. I love it. So Greg, we've talked about the painting behind you, which I think you told me, told me, is it called the homecoming or coming home? You're going. Oh, my painting. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mine is welcome home. Welcome yes. home. And, uh, 
TVC. Tanya, behind yeah. you, Greg already identified it. It's Duke Ellington, right? It is. And yeah, behind me, right. I've got my kids' art. And I think all of that is like tracks for today's conversation, right? <laughs> yes. It is. You <laughs> nailed like it. it. All together. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's right. Tanya, Greg and I were just talking about how. If you ask someone what kind of lessons they received in financial literacy, however that shows up, right? Because that's a, that's a very fancy, you know, phrase. But the lessons they got as kids in whatever that means, money, finance, that will tell you so much about their origin story, about their parents, about their grandparents, and about their future and their children, a hundred and fifty percent. And you don't know how many of those stories I've heard and how people have connected them to. And this is why I'm like this as an adult. Right. I remember talking yes. to one person who said, you know, my my parents spent every dime they ever had. I mean, we were we were broke. They didn't talk about budgeting at all. There was no saving. They spent every dime they ever had. And that's why I'm like that as an adult. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, and the through lines are sometimes and I followed in their footsteps. And sometimes the through lines are, and I hated that. And so I made sure that, you know, I crafted a life for myself that was completely the opposite. But it always goes back to that upbringing and what you learned in, you know, between the ages of zero and 10, probably. Yeah. And so as we talk about people's stories and what made them, um, we, I want to hear we want to hear how you became who you are. Uh, your Twitter bio says maker of things and teller of stories, which is, Greg, that's like our jam, all of that. right? We She's love all this. all of that. All so, of that. Yes. So, so who, who are you? Where, what was the first kind of lesson in financial literacy you got from your parents and where were you? Well, I'd have to start my origin story with, you know, Greg and I were best friends in high school. Oh, given, just right? Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Prom 1988 was amazing. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Greg still has the boot in the air, Tanya. Make it last forever make was the theme. <laughs> and, and, the four, and the four was a number four. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, All I remember about prom is my, my, my shirt and my shoes matched. They were both maroon. Oh, I'm mazel sure. tov, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone else remembers them too, Greg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was pretty fly. Let me just say. <laughs> it worked, though. It worked. Oh. It worked. <laughs> okay, let me, let me restart that. Let, let, me answer that. <laughs> let me answer that question again. I don't think we're going to be able to get through this podcast. I oh, hate to tell you, Paige. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, so I was born in East Oakland, California. My mom was an elementary school teacher in the Oakland public schools. She was a single mom of six kids. Oof. And, you know, listen, when you talk about her own money story, she had five kids by her first husband. They got divorced. She married my dad, who was 10 years her junior. And so my mom was 35. Nice. My dad was 25. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He must have been wearing a maroon uh, shirt and shoes. And it'd make it last forever playing in the background. <laughs> That's right. Tanya, do you know that Greg was raised by a single mom with four siblings? I did not know that. Yeah. Y'all have that in common. I did not know that. Yeah. We have that in common. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so, you know, my mom and dad <laughs> did not make it last forever. They got divorced when I was two. And, I, and the truth of the matter is, I think a big part of that was probably sent around money. Mm. You know, my mom had six kids. My dad wanted to go and hang out, as most 25-year-old men do. And uh, she said, look, that's not the stage of life I'm in right now, and that's not what I can afford to do. Um, and so they got a divorce. Um, and so my mom was a single mom with six kids. And in spite of that, she used to bring home more kids on the weekends. And oh so, gosh. you know, literally when I tell you that there are pictures of myself and my siblings, and I say, who's that little girl? Because I don't recognize the kid. My oldest sister will say, oh, that's somebody who mommy brought home that weekend. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so... Um, and so, you know, that was, um, quite frankly, my first money lesson, right? We didn't have a lot, but in spite of what we had, my mother always figured out a way to make it go even further than our family to those who were really in need. And so, uh, building bridges and closing gaps is a core part of my DNA and, and really critical to who I am and how I live my life. And so fast forward a few years. And when I was six years old, my mom died of a brain aneurysm. And my aunt, my mother's sister, adopted all six of us. So now she went from being a single mom of one to being a single mom of seven kids. Uh, mm. And so when you think about the money lessons there, the money lessons just continue to extend. Um, she was a teacher at one point. She was a social worker. She was an administrator at UC Berkeley. Um, and so when you think about at that juncture, probably living off of a, a $30,000 a year salary and raising seven kids off of a $30,000 a year salary, um, she knew how to make ends meet. I just want to point something out. As you just yeah. said that, I was shaking my head back and forth like, no, no way. Oh, my gosh. And Greg was shaking his head up and down like I totally get it. It was, it, so that many, was just a so kind of parallels. amazing moment. Yeah. So, so many parallels. And uh, Tanya, I really want to hear the rest of the story. But when you said your mom died of a brain aneurysm, my dad died of a brain aneurysm when I was five um, and left. So, so many. And we were just talking about um, this notion of how you you stretch and how they just kept going. So anyway, I, I keep going. That's why I was shaking my head, Faith, because there's so many just powerful parallels here. But but that's it, right? I mean, the parallels. The parallels, Greg, I guarantee you, don't just extend between you and I. They extend beyond us to entire community. Yes, yes. Whose primary money lesson was, here's how you stretch a dollar. Yes. That was yes. the primary money lesson, right? And you talk about other communities where the primary money lessons are, here's how you grow a dollar. Right. That wasn't what we experienced. I mean, stretching no. a dollar, that was financial education and critical financial education, important right. financial education. Yes. And, and so that's what we learned. That's what we learned growing up. And you know, the other thing we, we were talking about too, Tanya, as I, I said to Faith, you know, the fact that we lived in a single family home, we were considered like wealthy in our neighborhood <laughs> because, we, because we actually lived in a single family home. And meanwhile, I'm watching my mom stretch these dollars and, you know, my brother and I are, are exchanging tennis shoes during the basketball game. Oh you know, he's taking his he's taking his sneakers off so I can wear my wear them because mine tore up in the middle of the, you know, and, and kids are looking at us like, y'all got it good. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're trading tennis shoes out here. What do you mean? Like, 
Greg, 150 In the middle of the game. That's right. That's right. And we also, we lived in a single family home and, yeah. and everyone thought that we were wealthy because, you know, we lived in a single family yeah. home. Like you said, you had right. it good. Right? right. But I remember on our, on our birthdays, I had to choose between, did I want a cake or did I want a gift? Yes. Greg, we were just talking about choices, like That's values fine. and choices. Oh my values. gosh. Tanya, what did you choose? Probably as you got older, you, you, you chose a gift, but first the cake, right? As I got older, hey, cheesecake all day, all day. I, still, <laughs> I will still choose cheesecake over a gift. Making a note in my calendar, when is your birthday? <laughs> July 2nd. Okay, we know what to send you next summer. Um, I'll take the sweet potato pie, Faith. Sweet potato pie for me. Okay, I got it down. Um, thanks, August y'all. 15th, by the way, Leo. Um, August 15th, we just missed your birthday. So Happy yes. birthday, Greg. It's all good. Thank you, Tanya. Tanya, was it a really big deal when you ended up at Stanford getting two degrees in engineering? <laughs> it was um, it was a huge deal. It was it, it was a huge deal. But I have to tell you, you know, maybe for other reasons than than the ones that you're even thinking of, Faith. Um, my aunt, who raised me, went to UC Berkeley, and. Um, so she didn't necessarily love that I was going to Stanford when UC Berkeley oh, and Stanford oh, were rivals. <laughs> okay, them's fighting words. Got it. <laughs> Those are fighting words. But listen, I mean, you know, still Stanford is Stanford and Stanford comes with a lot of cachet and it was a very, very big deal. You know, I was quote unquote, the smart one in the family. And so um, they weren't surprised, um, but it was in so many ways a celebration of who my mother was and how mm. she raised us and how she raised us to value education um, and work hard and be tenacious. And the truth of the matter is for me, um, it was a manifestation of everything that I promised to myself and to her when my mother passed away. Uh, you know, I always say that other kids, um, you were afraid of your mother catching you when she came around the corner, if you were doing something you had no business doing when you were growing up. But for me, I felt like my mother was watching me every minute of every day. And so every choice I made, um, I felt had to be a choice that was both informed and ordained, um, given that I, I really truly believed and still believe that you know, she was um, helping to pave my steps and make sure that I was taking those steps in the right direction. I have to share with you both that today would have been my mom's 78th birthday. She died 25 years ago. So she's really, really with me and my kids today. And there's a lot of mom talk today. And I just want to yes. shout out to moms, man. Yes. yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your awesome. stories. I also need selfishly to interrupt to find out. See, Tanya, Greg knows so many famous people. So I need, I'm going to try to impress him right now. Uh, Tanya, when you were at Stanford, did you know my friend Cory Booker? Because y'all were there at the same time. <laughs> we were. At, we were absolutely there at the same time. I know Cory Booker, but he's probably too famous to know me. So please. Oh, no, I it. don't think so. Anyway, yeah. Greg, are you impressed? Are you impressed? I am impressed. Okay, good. I, thank you. I'm impressed today. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, good. Thank, thank you, Tanya. Um, so, so your entry into the financial space and, and the foundation of your mission for Goal Setter, which you created, it began with, I think, two specific events. You, you can confirm this. First, 
Will you please share? I, I think it's one event was your own, and then one event is a request of your daughter's, right? So will you please share your first dramatic experience losing money? Huh, I'm happy to. So remember I told you I was the smart one? <laughs> That's what everyone else thought. <laughs> Apparently that wasn't quite true. So, so um, I uh, come out of Stanford. I get a couple of jobs. I'm, I'm doing great. And, um, and then I got a job in Silicon Valley working at a, a startup company there. I was uh, one of the first hundred employees in the company. And so I got a bunch of stock and stock options. Well, I just told you a little bit about my background, right? The only financial lesson I got growing up was here's how you stretch a dollar. I did mm. not get any lessons about here's what stock is. Here's what it means to build wealth. Here's what the stock market is. And so all of that literally for me was uh, truly Greek. And it was what other people learned about, not what our family learned about or talked about or understood or, in, or quite frankly, needed to understand. I didn't understand why I needed to know that body of knowledge. And so uh, coming out of Stanford, two degrees in industrial engineering, took a bunch of classes in the business school, understood a lot about corporate finance, didn't know a lot about personal finance. Um, and so um, I got this stock and I didn't know about asset allocation or diversification or any of the things that I should be doing with the stock. So I just left it there. And the company did very well. The stock did very well. I woke up one morning, I had about a million dollars worth of value equity in this stock um, at the beginning of the day. And that day happened to be the day that the big tech bubble burst and every stock on the NASDAQ in particular really took a precipitous dive. And my stock went from being worth a million dollars at the beginning of the day to somewhere around $20,000 by the end of the day. Did you throw up? Wow. Wow. <laughs> really? Like what was your, what were you doing that day? Well, you know, Faith, remember, I didn't understand the stock market. So I just kept staring at my computer, wondering when it was going to go back up. <laughs> you hit refresh. Yeah. You kept hitting refresh. Call <laughs> IT. There's something <laughs> wrong yeah. here. Right. That was wrong. <laughs> right. That's exactly. The wrong <laughs> right. That's right. I'm like, oh, what goes down must go up. Is that what yeah. that saying is? What goes down <laughs> must come up again. Right. That's that saying. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, I didn't even have the knowledge to throw up. I was still waiting for it to go in the other direction. <laughs> We've come a long way that this is making us all laugh really hard yeah. because because here you That's are now. Point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, fast forward how many years till you have a, a, a nine-year-old daughter? Uh, probably about, let's see, um... Well, about seven years, okay. seven years. Okay. No, no, seven. And then she had to turn nine, seven years after that was when I actually had her. And then, okay, so, I yeah. can do math. So, that's 16. I, that's about 16. I'm not years. in banking, yeah. but I, I, we're there. So <laughs> you got it. So your, your nine-year-old daughter for her birthday, she yeah. asks you for what? She says, mommy, uh, for my ninth birthday, I really only want two things. And I thought, thank goodness you're going to tell me what you want, because I kind of think you have everything, and so I have no idea what to get you. And I said, great, what do you want? And she said, enough money to, to save for an investment account and a bike. Wow. Did you feel proud in that moment? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I, like, patted myself on the back and did a little dance, you know. <laughs> You know, we talked about mothers. The fact that she mothers. even knew the language. Uh, the fact that she even knew the language. And Absolutely. You know, yeah. the, the, the other thing, Faith, that's so interesting about, and I know you'll probably get to it, but it's so fascinating. Um, Tanya talks about 
in starting Goal Setter, just the challenges of being a woman in trying to raise the necessary capital and the obstacles that she came up against uh, in order Greg, to do that. Greg, have you seen her on Shark Tank? Tanya, I went back to watch you on Shark Tank. <laughs> have yes. you seen it, Greg? <laughs> yes, yes. Tanya, yeah. you were so self-possessed. I mean, you more <laughs> than held your own. You had dang swagger. That's real. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, li- listen, you know, um, you can't make it in this business if you don't, Faith. No Pun, in- pun intended, but... They will eat you alive. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're no chum. That's right. And, and everybody will see it on TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Look, not only a woman, but you know, there's something else I want to ask you. And I'm not sure how to ask this, so I will just trust that you'll have grace. In your life, have there been people who have looked at you and not known that you're black? Sure, absolutely. Mostly non black people. Okay. First of all, I want to check. Is that an okay question to ask? Absolutely. How has that affected you as you've, uh, 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 specifically being a woman trying to do a fintech startup, and then on top of that, being a black woman? Yeah. So so when you ask, um, how has that affected me? How has, what piece of that affected me, Faith? Are you asking people looking at me and not necessarily knowing if I'm black or trying to raise money as a black woman in, in the fintech space. Oh, I don't know. Can you separate them? If you can, oh, please. Uh, well, yeah, listen, I think so. My grandmother was from uh, Henrietta, Oklahoma. And uh, I remember my grandmother, and by the way, I'm the only one in my family who's mixed. My, my mom's black, my dad's white. My brothers and sisters, uh, they have a different dad who is black. So I'm the only one in my family who is quote unquote mixed as we know it, right? right, right, <laughs> we, right. We, know, we know that these <laughs> right. mixtures of lineage go, go far back in the African-American community. But in any event, I remember my grandmother telling me at one point, Tanya, you know, genes can jump around in the black community every which way. We can end up as white as this piece of paper or as black as the bottom of my shoe. And my grandmother's stamp of approval on what blackness means and how skin color is not something that we as black people um, should use or do use to designate whether you are black enough. That was all I needed at the ripe old age of seven or eight when she told me that. And so for me, my blackness has never been in question. You know, I, um, I was raised by a very strong African-American family that believed in the strength of our culture and the responsibility to our culture. Mm-hmm. And so those are values I've carried with me all throughout my life. And so now when you fast forward into I'm a black woman trying to start a financial technology company in America, all of those values and all of that strength that she imbued in me is what I needed for every one of those pitches in Shark Tank in front of the cameras or not at Shark Tank and when there were no cameras present and when I was still getting, um, you know, no's a hundred times more than my white male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it, it was a difficult, difficult road. And the truth of the matter is, Faith, there were many times where I said, why am I doing this? Like I can walk across the street. I'm in New York City. I can walk across the street to 
to Facebook or to Google or to any of these major tech companies. I can get a very senior position. I've been a senior executive at lots of companies before and, you know, be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Why am I doing this? And, and I knew that the answer was because if not me, then who? When you yes. look around this space, look around the fintech space. How many other women are there in the fintech space? How many black women are there in the fintech space? How many moms are there in the fintech space? How many people who truly, if you peel back the essence of why did you start that company? They started the company to close a wealth gap that is not going to close itself. And that, quite frankly, is often even more damaged by the fintechs that are cropping up every day mm. rather than less damaged. Right. The last time I checked, there are a whole lot of fintechs out there that are charging people a whole lot of fees to do a whole lot of nothing mm. other than transfer money and, you know, and and eat up um, fees when they are trading. And so my point is that I needed to stand in this gap because this gap is not about me. It's not about, oh, Tanya wanted to be a founder. Quite frankly, I didn't. Hmm. This gap is about me standing in a place where my presence is really required in order to right the wrongs of America. Greg, we hear that so often from people as, it's not like so many people do this, but the people we are privileged to interview on this show, that is such a driving force for them, Tanya, is, Greg, there's that wonderful quote you've given me before about, what is it, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but planting seeds that will grow trees under uh, under whose shade uh, some people may never sit, right? You're, 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 you're yeah. trying to help its legacy. You're trying to help out your community. And it's, pur- it's, it's purpose-driven um, faith. It, it's, you know, this is what, you know, people think of, of servant leadership as only being, you know, some sort of um, philanthropic gesture or, you know what's so important, and one of the one of the insights that's important for everybody to know about the black community in particular, is the importance of community. You know, it's the Maya Angelou quote of, "I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. It's the it's the it's the double burden that you know successful black people always carry carry with them, and it's that you have a unique responsibility, as, as Tanya said, not only to yourself. But the work that you're doing carries a much bigger responsibility to bring your community with you and to do that work because so many um, others have have done it before you. Um, so th- that's why it's such a, a pleasure for me and the work that we're doing with Tanya uh, here at the bank and, and the work that we we started, I don't know, Tanya, maybe over two years ago. And we've been <laughs> we've been making making progress. But the minute I met um, Tanya and I heard um, her story, and I heard the work that she was doing. I said, "We we we've got to do this, and we've got to figure out how to bring this into our business again, not as some diversity initiative, but as a real opportunity to service our employees better." And we did a pilot um, along in partnership with with Tanya, of Faith, with our employees, and we had a, a number of our employees, um, you know, work with the Goal Setter app and the feedback and the results and the favorability that came. It's just a great product. <laughs> yeah, you know, Tanya, forget- didn't I hear you on a podcast say like 92% of those U.S. bank 92% employees? 92% favorability. 92%. They said they would rather learn about, fin- they would rather have financial literacy lessons from your app than in any other yeah. way. 
That's right. That's right. But here's a, here's an entrepreneur. Here's a woman who's delivering a superior product, Faith. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this notion of what DEI is about. I don't want to hear that there aren't there aren't talented, incredible people out here with superior product. We don't have to sacrifice quality to meet our DEI goals. It's right in front of us. I have to share with you um, what one of the employees at U.S. Bank said to us after that pilot. Um, she had uh, three children on Goal Setter, a 15-year-old, yes. a 17-year-old, and a 22-year-old. Yes. And the 22-year-old <laughs> was a senior in college. And she said, my 22-year-old is actively taking your Goal Setter financial education quizzes. And she said, Mom, I cannot believe how many of these quiz questions I'm getting wrong. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, we have created a, a platform that truly spans from kindergarten to college in terms of the financial education that we're delivering. Because guess what? No one in this country has gotten great financial education for the past 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so we've created a platform that parents who, A, never got financial education, and B, have no idea how to um, bring their kids up in a way that is engaging to their kids, mm -hmm. but also financially responsible in passing along this knowledge. Parents are looking to us and saying, oh my goodness, thank goodness you are here and yes. you are standing in this gap for me as a parent because I know how important this is, but I don't know how to do it by myself. And you have, I, go ahead, Greg. Well, I, I was, I was going to say, you know, the, the primary place where kids are going to go to learn about financial matters is to their parents, as Tanya just said. I thought it's, you were about the, to say is to a phone or an iPad. And both of those things are true now. Both of, those right? th both of those things are true. But what I love about Goal Setter is it is for the whole family. Because what has prevented those conversations in the path, which going back to where we started, Faith, about the conversations that we were having in our households, the reason we didn't learn about it is because our parents didn't know about it. Yeah. They weren't going to try and they couldn't teach us something that they didn't know. And, and so we just didn't talk about it. And there might be shame around that. Or a lot of shame. People might find it awkward or difficult, right, Tanya? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, particularly now, right? As you said, Faith, think about these kids who are going to their computers, their iPhones, to TikTok. And they're learning something that may or may not be right. And then they go to their parents and they say, hey, mom, did you know about the rule of 72? And their mom is like, the what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you just stole one of my notes. In, in my research on you, you mentioned it in an interview. And I wrote down, you said some 13-year-old knows about the rule of 72. Well, this 50-year-old uh, wants, what is it? Do you know, Greg? I don't. <gasps> oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Okay. You're not and, alone. And neither of you guys should worry because most people don't. What is so it? So the rule of 72 is a rule that is a, a quick math estimate for how long it will take your money to double if you invest it at oh. different interest rates. And so if you do 72 divided by, let's say you can get 1% interest out of your local bank, 72 divided by one, it will take you 72 years for your money to double. If you put your money into the stock market, which for the past you know, 50 years or so 
has given a 7% return every year. 72 divided by seven is 10 years. Got it. And so even understanding that very basic wow. principle, you can understand why, oh, wow. So in order to build wealth, I kind of have to invest in the stock market. <laughs> I have to understand investing, yes. right? Which is, I mean, Greg, we didn't grow up understanding that. We thought you no. save your money. Right. Yeah. You could put it under your mattress. You could put it in a bank, right. wherever you put right. it, but you're right. saving your money and, and you're a hero if you're saving. Yeah. yeah. Little did we know we were missing out on the rule of 72 and doubling our money. All we were doing was saving it. We weren't doubling it. We were playing checkers while they were playing chess. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we were playing checkers poorly. Poorly. You didn't poorly. even have all the pieces on your checker. We get jumped. You know? You were, were getting jumped you, on the board. During like, halftime, your brother jumped. was giving him your was giving you his pieces. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> so you have this background, Tanya, in children's media. Um, you were at Discovery. You were at Nickelodeon. How were you seeing that the ideas of money and saving and investing were being portrayed to children, if they were at all? They weren't. Okay. They weren't. We, you know, they, they weren't being talked about at all. And what's interesting about that, Faith, is when I was at Nickelodeon, we actually developed a preschool curriculum because, you know, my perspective in every chair I sit in is how can I make a difference with this seat? And so at Nickelodeon, we were in front of millions of kids. And some of those kids, as you know, you know, they didn't have nannies. They didn't have stay-at-home parents. They had a mom who had two jobs. And so they were sitting in front of a TV for more hours than, you know, we would, most of us would want our kids sitting in front of the TV or playing on the computer or playing on the iPad for more hours than maybe they should have been. And so my perspective was, I want to provide them with a curriculum so that by the time they go to kindergarten, if they've been staring at these screens, they know as much as that person sitting next to them who may have had two full-time nannies. Mm -hmm. So we came up with a curriculum that included um, phonics and numbers and pattern recognition and all of the key things that preschoolers needed to know in order to be successful when they reach kindergarten. Um, but I'll tell you that there was nothing in that curriculum that talked about money or dollars and cents. And there was really nothing on the network in general, even for older kids that talked about money and financial education. Um, it really was, you know, my daughter who gave me that spark and of course my own loss who gave me that spark of, wow, this is something that every kid needs to know and they need to know it early. I mean, it sounds like in your mind, not, there's, there's never too early. There is no kid too young to start absorbing the, the meaning of money and investing and saving, right? Listen, it's, it's funny because I just keep having kids so that I can have my own focus groups at home, Faith. <laughs> How many do you have? <laughs> I have four. Oh. I have a 17-year-old, a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 6-year-old. Okay. So. <laughs> this is good. It's a great range, too. <laughs> there we go. So, you know, it was really fun one day. I was on the phone with a potential partner, and my 6-year-old walked up, um, you know, because it was zoom school or he was running around for whatever reason and um i said hey maxwell what are you saving for and he said i'm saving for a robocomsonathus which is a dinosaur oh, God. <laughs> and i said well how much does a robocomsonathus cost and he said 35 dollars. and i said how much do you have saved he said 25 dollars. i said so how much more do you have to go 
And he said, $10. And I said, well, how are you going to get that $10? He said, I'm going to do work around the house for mommy. And you're going to give me the $10 when I do work around the house. Now think about how many lessons in that one conversation. And I promise Man. you, the I hire Maxwell? Seriously. <laughs> this kid no, is No, because he smart. just finished mop he just finished mopping my office. So I'm okay. sorry, I can't okay. let go of him right Fair. now. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's booked. He's booked. But, ha- <laughs> but how many lessons did he did he demonstrate in that short exchange with you, right? Crazy. How many lessons? Goal orientation, I'm saving for something, understanding of dollars and cents and you know how to add them and subtract them, etc. Um, hard work and earning your own money for something that you are saving for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm delayed gratification. I'm not going to spend my money on anything else yeah. because I really want to save for that RoboComps in office. And a dash um, of paleontology. Yeah. And a dash of paleontology. That's right. Is that you? Is that your phone? Should we? No. Oh, no. I think Who that's is someone. That? Is, that, is that Brooklyn? I think it's Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Okay. Brooklyn entered our podcast. I'm on the Upper West Side, so Greg usually hears sirens go by me on Amsterdam. <laughs> um, should we, I, maybe we should pause for a minute. You don't, unless you, you think, think background music isn't good for the podcast, maybe we should pause for I a mean, minute. It's, Let kind me of, it's kind of good music. <laughs> it is. Uh, how's, uh, to want to put in the chat, my producers, if we can keep going or if we should pause? Let's, Let me go check out and see what's happening outside. Can you see. send Maxwell out? I'll give him a fiver. all right oh it looks like it it sounds like they passed that's the beauty of the car doppler effect my friends i think it was a car and wait a minute greg i'm on the fourth floor of a brownstone wow (laughs) it's new york baby wow um i heard i heard you in an interview mentioned at one point the goal setter has involved jay-z lyrics were you just riffing or is that true because because Greg loves some Jay-Z lyrics. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just go ahead, well, Tony. <laughs> listen, an ode to Greg is that we included Jay-Z lyrics <laughs> in order to explain key financial concepts. And mm. you know, the the amazing thing about our culture as black people is that we are so creative and so clever. And when you are looking for an understanding of key financial concepts, seek no further and just go download a Jay-Z album. I mean, he literally says things like, um, let's see, uh, what are some of the lyrics that we use? Oh, boy, 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 boy. Don't worry. This is the beauty of editing. Oh, good. Whenever, okay, so, whenever you come up with it, we can pop so it I'm in. So I'm going to come up with my lyrics, and then we can pop it in. Hold on. Give me one second. Sure. Well, while Tanya's doing that, Faith, the, the other thing I want to um, – my team would, uh, would absolutely be angry with me if I didn't mention that uh, Tanya and I are actually going to share a stage at the Money 2020 conference next month in Las Vegas. So I hope everyone will tune in. Um, Faith, oh, maybe I you can be, come can, I'll just hold your bags. I'll pull out your chairs. October, October 27th, Las Vegas, Money 2020 conference. Tanya and I will be continuing this conversation. He's going to wear what he wore for prom, Tanya, for you. Yes. Listen. Yes. <laughs> 
Listen, and what happens in that room stays in that room. So you better be in that room That's in right. Vegas if Green you want to. Colored see. suit with a with with, with maroon shirt. Money, baby. That's money. That's money. That's money. <laughs> we might just be matching, Greg. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah, let's, let's make sure we're coordinating coordinate. before coordinate. we go. Um, That's right. Coordinate. Tanya, I want to be respectful of your time so I can push on unless you have a few lyrics to read that are right in front I, of you. I have a few lyrics for Go. You. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Jay-Z lyrics, absolutely. So our ode to Greg Cunningham is making sure that we are including Jay-Z lyrics <laughs> in um, explaining key financial concepts. I mean, listen, one of the beautiful things about the Black community is our creativity and cleverness in um, all that we do, and specifically as you look at hip hop, there's so much wisdom and knowledge dropped about money. So uh, a couple of examples. We uh, explain what are the key secrets of building wealth. And one of those secrets is you have to have skills. You, you can't make money unless you have skills. And so Jay-Z's lyric that uh, applies to this is, we all fish, better teach your folk, give him money to eat, the next week, he's broke. Tanya, and- just stop and look at Greg's smile. <laughs> not, not everybody makes him smile that big. Not everybody. <laughs> By the way, you could have ended that so lyric for her, right? Right, Greg? So good. You didn't so need... Yeah, and then so there's good. also... What is it? I'm a business man, right? There is. I'm not there, a business there. man. I'm a business man. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we use that one. And we use that one to talk about why entrepreneurship and ownership are so important to the next generation, why they shouldn't just think about if you're a businessman, you could be, you know, working at Coca-Cola or working at, you know, any major company in America. But if you're a business, you are the business, you own the business. So we use that one, Greg. Um, We also talk about saving. And when we talk about saving, the lyric that we use is, I bought every V12 engine, wish I could take it back to the beginning. I mean, how powerful is that, that Jay-Z is a billionaire and he's yeah. still talking about, I wish I hadn't wasted that money mm. on things that I didn't need. And instead, I wish I had saved that money. And that's how we teach. That's how we teach kids. So you're trying to reach. empowerment too, Faye, but it's teaching empowerment, right? Because that's what wealth affords you um, is empowerment and freedom. And that's so critical to these young people, particularly in, in, in communities of color where these kids are looking for opportunity. They're looking for a way to express themselves and feel this sense of freedom and empowerment. And that's what wealth um, provides. Tanya, in an article from Afrotech earlier this year, you you shared this really sobering statistic. 70% of middle-class African-Americans are projected to have a, a child who falls out of the middle class. Greg, have you ever heard that statistic? I have not. Yeah, that's sobering. Uh, do you, let me say, that that's grim. Do you feel that there's a responsibility for kids to understand that certain communities face, you know, these struggles in achieving upward mobility? It, it is critical for, um, first off, those parents to understand, right? Greg just told you that as a middle-class African-American, he had never heard that statistic. Now, imagine how many other middle-class African-Americans don't know that statistic, and so they don't know how critical it is to teach their kids financial education if they want to have 
any hope of generational wealth. Wait, yes, I'm quoting you here. You have said, and I thought this was so meaningful. Many people believe financial advisors are only for the wealthy, but that couldn't be farther further from the truth. Everybody needs yes. financial <clears throat> advisors. Yes. 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 Even yes, LeBron yes. James has a coach. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so how is Goal Setter working to close the racial wealth gap? Well, you know, Goal Setter is doing things on many fronts. Um, and the first thing that we're doing is we are partnering with banks like U.S. Bank. Um, and as Greg talked about, the work that we're doing is ensuring that we are getting to every family in America. And we're going to where those families are and saying, hey, this is who you bank with. This is where you go to school. How do we meet you where you are and deliver you financial education tools through the providers that you already have a relationship with so that uh, we are together cultivating your kids to understand money in a way that you couldn't teach them and that no organization in America has ever taught them. And that's, that's the first thing that we're doing. The second thing that we're doing is we're being very intentional. We have a goal setter foundation that just recently launched a movement to get a million black and Latino kids investing. And that movement challenged corporations all throughout the country to sponsor kids to get goal setter accounts and then sponsor stock to mm. go into those accounts. Is that the so one the, stock, one future? It is. And so that movement was all about ensuring that we are starting kids off early as investors and savers and owners instead of just consumers. Because mm. if early on you think about yourself as, you know, I don't just buy Nike shoes. I may have a pair of Nike shoes, but I also own Nike stock. You think about yourself differently. You think about yourself and, um, and your possibilities and your potential. You think about it differently. So, so that's what we're doing. We're doing it on the business front by partnering with organizations to bring goal setter and the, the financial education that we bring to every neighborhood and every family in America. But we're also doing it through the Goal Setter Foundation, where we, we are being very intentional about closing the wealth gap uh, for Black and Latino families. By 2053, African Americans are projected to have a negative net worth. Latinos are only 20 years behind. Wow. As you know, many young people today have, have a, well, you have young people in your home. They have lots of critiques about economic inequality and the wealth gap. And, and they tend to lean towards suspicion of economic structures that allow these intense degrees of wealth to flourish. How do you think that a financial, an early financial education prepares people not only for their own, you know, financial security at an individual level, but it, it also helps build a vision of a more equ equitable world? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you talked about the fact that they tend to lend, uh, they, they tend to, to lend an eye towards suspicion of existing economic structures. And the truth of the matter is that they should, mm -hmm. right? They should, because historically, that's what they've seen. Historically, they've seen, you know, redlining. Historically, they've seen, you know, the inability for um, people to get mortgages based on the color of their skin. Historically, they've seen all of this, this economic injustice. And I'll tell you, you know, even with Goal Setter, as I became an entrepreneur, one of the things that I realized exists in the tax code is that 
when you sell your company, if you have held that stock for five years, you get the first $10 million from the proceeds of selling your company tax-free. Now, help me to understand. <laughs> um, if you think that you know the person who's making $15 an hour and getting taxed at a you know, 28% tax rate or even 23% tax rate. But the person who sells a company and realizes $10 million in gains doesn't have to pay a cent of tax on that. They should be looking at these economic structures with suspicion because the people who have created that tax code or, the, or, or you know, voted for it or let it go through, those were clearly not the people who were working $15 an hour because those folks would have said, you know what, there's something wrong here, as my daughter says. You know, my daughter just got her first job and she said, this is crazy. Why am I paying all these taxes? I make $15 an hour. Jeff Bezos should be paying my taxes, mommy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, <laughs> and so it's critical that, um, that, you know, they understand the overarching financial ecosystem, because if you don't understand it, then you can't be a part of the next structure that is put in place that could potentially be just a little bit more fair. So that's the first piece of it. Yeah. The second piece of it is they have to know what they have control over in their own lives so that they can control those things and chart a course to their own wealth and to their own potential financial, financially free future. That is critical. And so if you have control over, hey, I just got out of college, I just got my first real job, how much money am I going to save? Well, I'm going to save three to six months of my expenses. Because I and know then, the rule of 72, P.S. <laughs> they, they thank you. And that's exactly right, right? I'm, I'm going to save three to six months of my um, monthly expenses in an emergency fund. And then what am I going to do? Well, the next dollar, I'm going to begin investing. And so when you know those things, when you know better, as our people will say, you can do better. Do better. Right? But if you don't know better, you can't do better. And you will find yourself waking up at age 45 thinking about retirement and you don't have sufficient retirement assets, right? And then you'll, you know, by default be working forever. And, and that's what we see far too much. You really have to understand your game plan for when you're 62, when you're 22. You have to know that game plan by the time you're 22. Hello. Hello. That was a gem right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what I love? No, true. Uh, 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 you know what I love about Goal Setter? I, I love so many things. Um, and now I love its creator. Um, but you, you're, you've created something that helps absolutely everyone of every yes. color, right? Like my white 10 year old was so psyched to download your app today. He has been texting me all day with suggestions for what his allowance should be and what his sister <laughs> should be because he points out in text that he does more around our apartment. He's like, but, I need a raise. I need a raise. Ex exactly. But yeah. he's, he was, he was, ex he wanted me to ask you about how often can he be like, mom, when you interview the CEO, but he was like, a ask her on what part of the app where, where it shows me what goals to have, which I thought was kind of adorable and exciting, but he's, he's so excited about it. And by the way, and, and you're also teaching me things, right, as his parent. But by the way, along the way, you are specifically helping communities of color. 
and you don't have to do anything different. It's, it's, uh, Greg and I are always talking about this. Yeah. It's like rising tides, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Listen, let me tell you something, Faith. I don't know what kind of music your 10-year-old is listening to right now, but I guarantee you within the next three years, he will be as big of a Jay-Z fan as Greg is. I guarantee it. <laughs> okay. And it has- it's all show <laughs> tunes if I'm around, so his father will be thrilled to hear this, Tanya. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I mean, truly, when you look at the culture of America today, the culture of America is all kids are watching the same TikToks, they're listening to the same music, they're watching, you know, they're all watching the same shows. Um, and so, and, and African-American experiences and culture dominates a lot of what happens in uh, popular culture. As our friend Houston culture. White, who was on this show, said, black culture is American culture. There's no, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so, right. And so you can't tell me that when I, as a black woman, create fun financial education quizzes that are rooted in popular culture, much of which happens to be black culture, that that is not going to be applicable to even the wealthiest person in America's child. It Absolutely. 100% yep. will be. And so that is... But, but that wasn't happenstance that we created an app like that, Faith. That was knowledge of kids and families and popular culture and entertainment and all of that knowledge that I bring from my background at Nickelodeon yep. and ESPN and Discovery Education. And as a girl from Oakland, California. That's Hello. what inclusion is about. That's what inclusion that's, is about. That's inclusion right. means it's relevant to everybody. That's <laughs> right. That's right. But inclusion also means... That guess what, Faith, if Tanya weren't sitting in this chair, your son would never have this app that he gets Real the talk. opportunity to Thank learn you. from and grow from and learn right. financial education in a way that is compelling to him. I'm going to quote if, my friend Greg and say, amen. That's right. And I thank that's you. Right. I that thank you amazing. very much because you stepped into the gap to close the gap. Well, I got to tell you who else stepped into the gap. U.S. Bank stepped into the gap. And Greg Cunningham mm. stepped into the gap because if I hadn't gotten funding from U.S. Bank when I did, there would also be no goal setter. And so it's not enough for black women entrepreneurs to step into the gap. We need allies. Martin Luther King was not walking across the Pettus Bridge on his own. Mm. He was arm in arm and hand in hand with people who he needed to be there in order for that movement to happen. And I have to tell you, that's where I am most disappointed in the venture capitalists of this country, because I think they do a whole lot of talking about it and not a whole lot of being about it. Um, but I am very proud of partners like U.S. Bank that have said, you know what, we have to do something more. And then they actually did it. Greg, I'm going to let you take that one. We're nodding hard, you and I. I you know, it, it's we're. We're making people-based investments, Faith, as you heard me say a number of times. And our investment in Goal Setter was just the beginning of this relationship. And I look forward to having Tanya back at some point so we can talk about um, some of the work that we're continuing to do. But, you know, this is a really good example of how what you talked about, Houston White, but this notion of culture plus capacity you know, here we have an amazingly talented entrepreneur, black woman who's doing amazing work. And, you know, I would dare say probably a few years ago, we wouldn't have taken even taken a second look 
at, at this opportunity. But, you know, we're at a much different place now. And when we can look at entrepreneurs and people who do it, are bringing innovation to our space and make investments and, and believe in people like Tanya Van Court, I think that's when we're doing a DI work at its best. So it's a pleasure, Tanya. And, yeah, it is, Tanya. You know, They're putting a, a vaudeville cane to me to get me off the stage. I wish we could talk for a lot longer. Um, TVC, Greg Cunningham, y'all get to hang out in Vegas. Just send, shoot me some pictures. Send me some texts. We'll send you some pictures. We'll send you some pictures. <laughs> Make me jealous. <laughs> um, Tanya, I can't, I can't thank you enough, just on a personal level for this meaningful conversation and as a parent of, a, of two kids who are now going to be goal setters. That makes me so excited. You don't understand. That's, um, that's the stuff that dreams are made of, Faith, truly. I mean, anytime I hear a family that says, we're a goal setter family, let me tell you what I know for sure. I know for sure that that kid is going to grow up with financial education, that that kid is going to learn how to build wealth, um, and that that kid is going to be on a path to financial freedom. And that makes my heart sore. So I think, we, I think this is a good place for us to and our vaudeville act. Um, we're gonna <laughs> jazz hands, y'all. End it on a high note. <laughs> Tanya Van Court, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here with you and Greg. Um, Greg, really happy belated birthday. I'm gonna make you. Thank I'm you. gonna make you let me take you out to dinner the next time you're in the city. Sounds good. I'll get cheese on my Whopper. <laughs> All right, good. Extra, Extra bacon. Cheese. Extra cheese. Yeah. Extra cheese. All right, bye, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Good. If you like what you heard, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon.